we overshare in society and on social media. So I think that is sort of allowing these scammers to have even more success because they're able to leverage all this information that's out there, all these photos, images, things that are publicly posted on the platforms like Instagram, and it just makes their jobs easier. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Satnam Narang, Senior Staff Research Engineer from Tenable. And today we're discussing pig butchering, what it is and the impacts it has on people. So Satnam, thank you so much again for coming back on the show. You always have really interesting topics to bring to me, which I find really interesting. So I want to start with this. So the term pig butchering, now it sounds pretty savage. So what is it exactly? Yeah, the term is meant to evoke this uh, pretty severe emotion in people when you think about it, because it's essentially the terminology, I think it's called Shuzupan, or I think Shuzupan is the name that some people have used to refer to it as. And basically, that means pig butchering scam. And what it is, is it's a type of investment fraud that typically happens involving romance. So it's a merging of the of the two. So you have investment types of scams or investment fraud, and you have romance scams. So they married the two together to create pig butchering. So the reason why they call it pig butchering is because you have to fatten up the victim. And the way you do that is by playing a long con, by convincing them that you know you actually want to have a romantic relationship with them in order to get them to develop a sense of trust. Wow. Okay. Term fattening them up. Now I understand what, how the, where the name came from. Now, you and I spoke this year about a Tinder swindler. Now, he sort of had the same approach around playing the long game, right? Like as you and I spoke through and people who have watched the the documentary, if you haven't, should check it out. But he sort of plays the whole long game and, you know, a lot of these things and these, these this whole big scam he was playing, it like wasn't sort of, you know, quick money. It was, you know, 12 plus months that he was playing. Is that the same sort of approach though for pig butchering? Uh, no, not necessarily, because, you know, in the case of, of the Tinder swindler, you just had one person operating the scam. The way the pig butchering works, there are multiple, you know, individuals involved in this. And I think there is some level or some degree of human trafficking involved as well. I don't have the specifics on that for you. But, you know, I know that this is mostly originating in like Southeast Asia. So you have like shops, basically, kind of like not too dissimilar to the stuff we see around like you know I don't I don't know if you're aware but I think most of your listeners are too but you know the little fake Microsoft emails or things like that saying hey you know your your license is expiring or your antivirus is expiring please call this number and then you end up in a call center it's not too dissimilar from that but the difference is is that we don't really know if some of the people behind these are actually doing it willingly or if they're actually being forced to Wow. Okay. That, that, that is really interesting. So, okay. Now, how, how does this come about? Is it that you're on a dating app? Now I've heard people say, I mean, I'm not on dating apps, but if you, you know, if you were to be on one, I have heard people in the past saying, you know, like 80% of Tinder profiles are, are fake because it's maybe of this sort of pig butchering sort of a nature where it's like straight away, they try to convince you to like chat on WhatsApp. I remember a friend of mine saying, he's like, it definitely felt like it was a different person. 
Is that sort of how this pig butchering sort of thing works? Like straight away they you know, they get you on the app and then straight away they're trying to move you towards WhatsApp. So they're then trying to move laterally to- towards you to make you, you know, fatten them up sort of process starts or, or how-, how does it work? Yeah, so it, it varies, Carissa. So, I mean, yeah, I think romance apps, you know, dating apps are one place where you'll find a lot of these pig butchering scammers basically lying in wait, trying to find their next victim. And yeah, the goal is to get them to a different platform like a WhatsApp or even a Telegram too, because Telegram's a little bit sort of, you know, open season as well. Kind of like, you know, just it's not like a signal or anything like that. It's it's an interesting place. I, I've found when I've been doing some of my research around pig butchering, I tend to go towards Telegram just because, you know, I'm I'm less comfortable with providing my number to these scammers. And at least the Telegram, you know, you're using a username. So yeah, it is ultimately about getting you off the platform. Some do it quickly. Some will be like, hey, you know, I'm too busy. I don't really check this app. Message me here. But then some will actually try to have a conversation with you on the app itself to sort of seed that, you know, interest and say, hey, you know, like, how's your day going? But really, it's taking you off platform. And I do believe, yes, indeed, that the people who are operating the profiles are different from the people that are actually conducting the long form conversations off platform. Absolutely. So how quick are we talking here to get you off platform? Like, oh, hey, Saturn, and then shred away, we should start talking on like WhatsApp or Telegram. Is that is that how quick we're talking or? Within the first few messages sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've encountered some instances where it's within the first two or three messages that they'll be like, hey, you know, even if you're trying to have a conversation with them, they'll just straight away recommend going to WhatsApp or Telegram just because it's easier because their their job is to sort of farm the victims out to these other platforms, right? So it's like the least amount of time you can spend trying to have a conversation, the more opportunities you'll have to carry on that long con with the individuals who are behind the WhatsApp and Telegram accounts. Totally understand. So, okay, a couple of things in there I want, want to unpack. So do people go, okay, so hypothetically, I, I'm like, okay, Satna, you know, let's change to WhatsApp. Are you as potential victim going to be like, yeah, sure, I'm going to do it? Are people actually doing that? Well, they have to be or else this wouldn't exist this year. Well, you know, the one thing I do also want to point out is that in some instances, the way the pig butchering scam has also worked over the last couple of years is that you might get a random text message or message on WhatsApp directed to somebody saying, hey, is this, you know, is this Sean? Is this Gabe? Is this, you know, someone else? And the goal is to just pretend to be like wrong, wrong number. And then they'll send a picture along with it. And usually it's of an attractive woman. And they're hoping that by doing that, they might pique your interest. And then once you say, hey, sorry, I'm not Sean or Gabe, I'm somebody else, you might continue that conversation. So that is one element of it where you're already off platform on a WhatsApp or SMS or even a Telegram. But then when it's on dating apps, yeah, the goal is to get you off the platform because really the the people who are responsible for the scams themselves, they do devote a lot of time. It's not a simple, like, you know, one to two day thing. They'll, they'll, it's very fascinating. They'll really try to get you fattened up, so to speak, and believing that you're actually developing a relationship with this person. And they'll pretend to be interested in you. They'll actually remember things about you and like what you're doing, like where you work. And they'll ask you whether or not you've eaten. It's, it's very, very distinct and direct. And the hope is that by developing that sense of trust with the, the victim, 
they'll be more likely to actually fall into their trap. So what are some of the tactics that these criminals employ? So talk me through some examples, perhaps. So for example, I've gone on the criminals there. What are types of things that they're saying to encourage me to stop using the platform and to switch to Telegram or WhatsApp, for example? Well, I mean, I think in general, most people don't really like having conversations on the dating apps themselves because, you know, sometimes people just don't really want to check it. You know, they'll be getting messages from other people. And, you know, it's it's a lot easier to use like a native SMS application on your phone, whether you're on an iPhone or Android. Also, you know, if you're a WhatsApp user, which a lot of people are, it's just naturally a place where people already are carrying on conversations. So the likelihood of you wanting to stay on platform, they, they also just want to make sure that you can stay off the platform so you won't message other people and potentially get interested in somebody else, right? Because they don't want you to find someone else to spend your time with, right? Because if you're finding a prospective person you want to go out with, you're going to potentially meet with, you'll probably forget about them. So they want to make sure you go off platform and they'll even try to convince you to say, hey, can you delete the app together with me? So they're really, really laying it on thick. Gosh, so I hope you don't find your love of your life on there and you forget about them, the criminal. So I, okay, so you've obviously created a pseudonym profile and you've, you've done sort of the, some of the, you've come across some of these criminals. Is that correct? I have, yes. So you know really how it plays out. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit more. So we've talked about where the scams sort of come from, like, you know, Tinder and places like that. One of the questions I do have about that, though, now as I'm thinking, does Tinder have any sort of like machine learning, artificial intelligence to sort of detect, hey, this definitely looks like a pig butchering type of act that's being carried out? Like to say, oh, no, we've banned that account. Maybe there's certain phraseology that they that they use, which could detect potentially that it is some type of scam. I don't think so, Chris, because I mean, the, the conversations are very generic things that you would normally have a conversation with a person on a dating app about, you know, it's not going to be like a, a script that I've seen. Because, you know, I, I've seen Tinder bots in the past. These aren't really bots per se. These are people operating these accounts. And it's very vanilla, very generic. It's not going to be something that's that's you know, these platforms are able to easily pick up on. That said, you know, I, I kind of question like, you know, the fact that it shows location being very close to the victim's location, right? They'll say 20 miles, 30 miles, but the actual individuals who are operating the accounts clearly are, you know, thousands of miles away in like Southeast Asian countries operating out of there. So maybe they're either proxying into, you know, locations closer to the victims, or I don't know how they're doing that. The criminals on the, the platforms, have they created a pseudonym profile for themselves? So like, they're actually not called Jane, they're called Mary, for example. Yeah, I mean, they're using stolen photography and images of, of real women, and, and they download photos of them doing things that they would normally do in real life, going on, you know, going to parties, going out with friends, having dinner, going, you know, dressing up in clothes, basically just presenting themselves to be who they claim to be. But obviously, you know, you pick up on it and you're like, okay, something, something doesn't seem right about it. But it's, yeah, I, I would say probably in my history of researching scams over the last, you know, 10 plus years, actually, I can't even remember how many years it's been. It's been so long since I've been doing scams. This is probably one of the more elaborate 
scams that I've come mm. across. So it's it's not your garden variety like cryptocurrency scam that is a quick hitter, right? Like, you know, impersonating Elon Musk or these cryptocurrency figures like we've talked about in the past to try to get you to send your cryptocurrency. They really want to get you to believe that what they're trying to do is help you capitalize on some of the knowledge that they have or that they've gained in order to make lots of money. Because at the end of the day, they're trying to convince you to part ways with, you know, tens of thousands of dollars up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some people have lost to millions of dollars through these types of scams. My God. Okay. So, all right. Oh, this is so interesting for me. It just it just rattles me a little bit. Okay, so the reason why I asked about the photos is because now I'm trying to understand from a Tinder or whoever else is out there that leverages these romance platforms that the authentication process. So basically, they don't really have anything in place. So you just could be like, hey, my name's Jane. Here's a photo I stole off the internet, and there we go. Like, I've got a profile now. So I don't have yeah. to authenticate by showing my driver's license. I'm Carissa Breen like anything like that, right? So then it goes back to the ethics then of, of Tinder and friends, yeah? Yeah. In fact, I've seen some profiles have the same photograph. I, in fact, I, you know, I've shared it with some of the people internally as part of some of the research that I'll be working on and publishing sometime in the near future. But yeah, I've, I've seen some photos of the same person twice. So I know for a fact, because I've had conversations with one of those accounts that someone else is using the same photography or photos. It's just maybe slight difference. Maybe they grabbed a different image of that person, but it's l literally the same person that they are impersonating on Tinder. And I guess, look, if I, I'm looking at this both ways, if I'm Tinder, I don't want to have that strong, heavy authentication process at the start because it would mean that people aren't going to pay me money for my application. Would you say that's correct? I mean, you know, I think one of the things about Tinder, Hinge, and all these other platforms is that they do offer this like verification. I don't want to use the term verification because of all the, you know, things going around uh, verification on like Twitter at the moment. But basically, you get a little like check mark saying you're a real person or the person that you have posted a photo of is you, right? Like if I'm posting right. a photo of myself, they make me do a pose and then they say, okay. You match the person you post the photo of. Okay, so then they give you a little badge or an indicator that you are who you say you are. So, you know, there may be in some instances where they've actually leveraged that feature to make it seem like they're really who they say they are too. So off the top of my head, I don't, I, I'd have to go back through some of the, the stuff that I've captured, but I can say I have seen some cases where that feature has also been utilized perfectly by them. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So, yeah. Obviously I, I don't know. So I'm just trying to understand how it all fits together. So if I'm a potential victim on here, someone's photo comes up. I mean, maybe it's just me and maybe it's people in security. Like my, my natural instinct is to like, you know, reverse, you know, image the photo, right? On Google, find out, try to find out like if their name is like Mary Jane, who is Mary Jane? Can I find her on LinkedIn? Like I'm going to really start going rudimentary recon work on someone. And it's probably a good reason why I'm inside of security. But <laughs> obviously people aren't doing that enough. So they're just really reliant on, oh, okay, this person looks good. Like, fair, like they're not going to question it too much. Clearly not. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there are some people who do do the things that we do as, as practitioners. But, you know, one of the things about like dating apps and things of that nature is that there's no easy way to just grab a picture. You'd have to take a screenshot. And sometimes the images that they're using probably won't turn up a result. 
They won't show up with a result of someone associated with that photo. They might do something to the photo to make it so that it won't show up, maybe alter some pixels. I can't say definitively because I haven't actually done any reverse engineering on the photos myself, but you know, you are also not going to surface a lot of photos or, or images from say platforms like Instagram, for example, those might not show up through Google search. Um, at least as, as far as I've, I've seen, maybe you've seen something different, but yeah, it, it, it really comes down to, you know, being very skeptical. And I know, you know, we're, we'll obviously talk about this in a moment about what users can do to protect themselves, but the skepticism factor, I think has to be on 11 in, in this case. Yeah, no, I think you're right when it comes to Instagram and all of that. Yeah, it's definitely a lot harder nowadays than, than back in the day. So, okay, now that the, the vic- well, so the victim, they've moved from Tinder, for example, they're onto WhatsApp. Now, how does the conversation go? Like, how do we get, is this where the fattening up stage sort of comes into it now or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the goal is to get you to believe that this person actually wants to develop a relationship with you and, and meet up with you and cook for you. And, you know, they'll, they'll send things about themselves, like what they're doing during the day. They'll send photos of them saying, hey, I'm at the gym. And it'll be a picture of them at the gym, right? Or they'll say, hey, I'm eating this meal. The meal images are very interesting because they look a little too nice in some instances. Like, oh, I made this for lunch. And it's like, okay, that looks a little too suspicious, but people might overlook that. Or, hey, you know, my mom's in town and I'm going to have dinner with her. And then in some instances, they may be like, hey, I'm going out, going out to this place at this time. And they'll send a photo of like the, you know, Los Angeles skyline or something like that. And yeah, so the idea is you're getting to see a, a glimpse into their life and then they want you to do the same. They'll ask you for to send a photo of yourself or they'll ask you about your day. They'll say, how's you know, work going? Have you eaten? Have you, have you eaten is one of the you know, strange things that I've seen like really early on. And I don't know if there's like a psychological component to it. Maybe that shows that they're you know, thoughtful and kind and caring about you and your well-being. But yeah, it's it's really, really fascinating the lengths to which these scammers will go to develop that relationship really quickly. And then they'll also slide in and talk about financial things. They'll say, you know, oh, you know, I'm just doing some trading today, or they'll talk about their cryptocurrency investments to pique your interest. And then they'll ask you if you've actually ever gotten in, involved in cryptocurrency or, you know, how's your experience with investments? They'll also tell you that traditional investments are not very good and that cryptocurrency is the way to go because as you know, and as we've discussed in the past, the traceability factor and the ability to recover your funds is next to impossible when it comes to cryptocurrency. So they're able to get away with a ton more fraud than they would under traditional finance. Okay. So talking about the meal thing, that that's really interesting. So I just, what's coming from my mind as you're speaking is like one of those like fake images that's clearly being done from like, I don't know, a, a photographer. So it looks just too good to be true. How can you not pick up on that though? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, this I mean, is a scam. It's fake. You didn't cook that. I mean, I, I, the ones that I've seen, they look, you know, pretty fake, but then there's some that actually look like, Hey, not, not bad. And, you know, again, if you think about it, you know, a lot of times when people use Instagram, they post photos of their lives, right? Places they go, meals that they've eaten, things like that, meals that they make. 
So it's there's a lot of corpus of of you know data and and you know images that they can use and leverage. So even if it's a completely unrelated photograph of someone's meal, not linked to this girl that they're portraying themselves as, they can still use it and present it as their own. And it's just this level of of detail wasn't really available in mass as it is now 20 years ago, right? Things have changed dramatically. We overshare in society and on social media. So I think that is sort of allowing these scammers to have even more, you know, success because they're able to leverage all this information that's out there, all these photos, images, things that are publicly posted on the platforms like Instagram, and it just makes their jobs easier. Yeah, I get it. And I understand that, of course, you know, having that, oh, this is my meal today. I can understand how that is effective. But then I was just like, we well, you got to get your story straight. It's like, hey, you're sending me a photo of chicken that you ate. I thought you were a vegetarian. Like that would be something that I would pick up on. But again, like I'm just crazily weird with details like that. But hang on, that doesn't, that doesn't check out. Like who is this person? You're a criminal or like that's always my instinct. And I'm always looking at the finer details. But of course, people overlook those things. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think there's instances where they're going to say they're vegetarian or, or vegan or anything like that. They're they're going to send you photographs of their meals and it's going to look like standard meal. Where they do get slipped up on is if they like post a, an image of the skyline and it's the weather doesn't match. That's an instance where you could probably pick up and say, hey, something doesn't make sense there, you know? And I think the time differential too, if they're operating out of Southeast Asia and they talk about how they're going to go have a meal at like, you know, have dinner at like one o'clock in the afternoon, that's pretty sus- suspect. But, you know, maybe most people might overlook that and say, hey, did you mean lunch? Yeah, 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 I meant lunch. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the finer points. Like, I'm pretty sure it was raining in Los Angeles today and it looks sunny on, with your photo. Like, but that, that to me just screams a scam. I don't get it. Talk to me about, oh, okay, so... All right, this just rattles me so much. Like it doesn't make sense. Like it's obvious it's a scam. So so why is the scam so effective? Because it's the trust, Carissa. I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're sharing your day with them, you're talking about your problems, and they'll actually sympathize with you about your problems, they'll show interest. You know, I think especially during the last few years when we think about the lockdowns a lot in a lot of places around the world, people were lonely. And, you know, having someone there to talk to and be interested in you and your day-to-day, it created just the perfect environment for the scammers to have massive success in this type of scam. Because at the end of the day, we all crave connection, right? And I think that's what they're really keying in on, this desire for human beings to connect with other human beings. And if you're romantically looking for a partner, you know, they're very attractive photographs of these women that I've come across. But I know that, that women also come across these involving you know men too, right? So it's not just directed towards men only, which typically what is what I've seen in the past with a lot of the, the scams on, on dating apps. It's basically free for all. And so, yeah, it's really just about preying on people's desires and wants for a connection and using that to take advantage of them. So you, obviously they're, they're messaging and I understand that there's a level of some companionship, but is there any like calls, any video calls, or is it just purely all message and people are getting into this level of detail? That just perplexes me. So they do send voice notes. I have noticed that in some of my research. They do send voice notes, 
There was an instance where I did get a video call, but I didn't answer because I was very suspect about that. I was like, that seems sketchy. So I purposefully did not answer the video call. But the Mm. voice notes, you know, you could hear the accents. And I don't know, again, it's hard to know definitively if the people behind the scams are actually the women in those photos, if they've been trafficked in to these places and they're being held against their will. I I don't know that. And that, for me, you know, I feel mostly for the victims. I, I shouldn't say mostly. I feel for the victims, the people who are falling for these scams for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But what I feel most for is that there are real people behind these messages who could be held against their will, being threatened. I, I don't know the specifics around that, but that concerns me greatly. And I, right. I hope through the exposure of these you know, research pieces, whether it be the ones that we've seen already or the stuff that we're doing or that others will do in the future, that we get some sort of co- collaboration and coordination to try to take down these networks. And they probably know it's wrong and they probably don't want to do it and they're forced to do it, which is even a worse position to be in. So how do these sort of scams go on for? Like how long are we talking here? Like six, 12 months, longer, shorter? Um, so I think it could it can vary from multiple weeks to months, but I think once they start squeezing you for the money, like once they start getting money out of you, they'll try to continue to tap from the well as much as they can until it's dry until, or until you basically just stop. Like from what I've heard and what I've read, because I haven't gone through with the full, full scope of it because, you know, I'm not going to put my money on the line. But no. what, what I can say is that, you know, a key element to this is that they will portray themselves as saying, you know, you'll get, you know, X amount of return on this and you'll lose it right? Instantly. But if you're using one of their controlled websites, which is one of the components that they do is that they create these fake investment websites that they can fudge the numbers with to make it seem like you are actually earning money. And then once that happens, you are actually just not going to see your money come back. And then when you try to cash out, they'll try to squeeze you for more. Or if you lose money, they'll say, hey, you know, sorry for your losses that you've had, but you know, we can get you back in the game. They'll try to get you to kind of like when you're going out gambling, right? At some point, you kind of have to come to the conclusion like, okay, enough's enough. But you'll keep trying because you're like, okay, I lost $100. Well, let me bet another $100 to see if I'll get that $100 back plus extra. Mm -hmm. So it sort of plays on off of that element too. But then let's say you do earn money according to these platforms that they've created. They'll say, hey, you can't transfer out your funds because you need to also pay taxes. So then they'll try to extract more money out of you. So it's just about trying to get the most out of you to squeeze you dry, completely dry as much as they can. And then at that point, you're left holding an empty bag because you have nothing. You know, you can try to file a police report or do some things. But again, it's hard when the scammers are operating out of other countries, you know, and that's, especially when it involves cryptocurrency, once you get into the cryptocurrency space, as you know, once your money's gone, recourse is pretty much, there's nothing you can do. Gosh, these guys are going all out with that fake science and, oh, look, looks like you're, you're up today with your, your investment. Wow. Okay. So how soon, I mean, obviously you haven't been through with the whole ordeal, so you don't know specifically, but 
just say I'm at the end of my tether, like this is the last dollar I have, whatever. How quickly do you think people, like the victims, discover they've been scammed? Like, is it instant or is it like a couple of days are like, oh my goodness, definitely I've been scammed? It's hard to say. I think it's dependent upon each person. You know, some people may fully believe that what they're doing is is legit and that they're actually, you know, hey, you know, people lose money in the markets, right? People see, you know, cryptocurrency prices plummet within a couple of days, right? And so it's expected in a way. So maybe they'll they'll convince themselves that, hey, you know, let me just get back in the game. And they'll they'll egg you on too to try to get you to invest more and say, hey, you know, this is just an anomaly. This is the best time to buy, right? Because you buy low and you sell high, right? So they really play up that factor too. And I think for victims, you know, I think they suspect that something's amiss, but then they don't want to believe it because, you know, it, who wants to believe that they've been conned, right? People don't, that feeling of admitting that you've been conned is one that is really hard, which is also probably why we don't hear a lot about these losses because victims may not come forward because there's shame attached to it. And I think that sort of emboldens these uh, criminals to continue to operate because it's sort of like, you know, people aren't going to talk about they've lost tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. A friend of mine actually told me that her husband actually lost some money through one of these scams before. And, you know, that's not something that people are, are going to walk around proudly and admit, right? So we don't know the true losses from these scams, which I think makes it even worse because this could be probably one of the most lucrative areas of, of scams out there. Yeah, no, of course, people aren't going to be so uh, upfront with that. There was something I posted on LinkedIn about a month or so ago, and it was around, I don't know if you have it in the US, Satinum, it's, hey, mom, I dropped my phone. Can you transfer me some money? Uh, I put that on there, and so many people were like, oh, my goodness, I nearly fell for this. And then I put it on my personal Instagram. I had quite a significant amount of people say, my, I fell for it, or my mom fell for it. I know somebody almost fell for it. Like, it was crazy. And I was just like, what? Like, wouldn't you call someone first? Like, I don't know. I think like these things do exist, right? And I and, and it's so easy to fall victim. But until I started talking about it, people were coming forward and saying, oh my goodness, thank gosh, like you've actually said something. I got this message today. So of course, having the awareness, like doing things like, you know, your research and, your, and this podcast and everything else to, to sort of, you know, tell people what these scams are, what they look like, and then how to protect themselves. So then on that front, what are some of the things that people can sort of do to protect themselves? Yeah, you know, I mentioned it earlier on, like that skepticism needs to really be in place when it comes to online dating generally, right? When you're generally meeting and connecting with someone through these online dating platforms, you should be a little bit skeptical and sort of, you know, have your guard up. But once you start getting asked about like, you know, your investments and things like that, and they try to talk about getting you into investments and showing you like screenshots of their successful investments. As soon as you get a screenshot showing you, hey, this is what I'm working on. This is how much money I made. That's a big red flag. That should be like sirens around the block, right? You should be like, wait a minute, something's not right. But let's say you even discard that and you say, okay, whatever. Once they try to tell you, hey, I can help you make X amount of dollars. I can help you become financially free. All you have to do is go onto this website and sign up. And then 
you know, once they try to get you to do anything financially related is when you should just be like, nope, block, walk away or report if you're on the platform itself. But unfortunately, when it comes to things like WhatsApp and SMS, there's no real mechanism like that besides blocking them. So I think that's one of the the things that also sucks about this whole process, because if you're on the dating app, you can report the profile and then Tinder or Hinge or Bumble will take them down. But you can't really do that over SMS or WhatsApp. And so I think having that skepticism about anything financially related, yeah, if they ask you about like your meals and things like that, you're probably going to just be like, whatever, okay, this is normal banter, chitter chat, whatever we're doing, right? But when it comes down to it, if you get early on in a conversation, whether it's the first week, couple weeks, they start talking about financial stuff, walk away, block them, just get out of there. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I think also looking at it does a story add up. Like if it's raining and they post a photo and it's not raining, probably a good indicator it's a scam. And then like, yeah, paying close attention to the finer details as well. I think that's people would would always overlook those types of things. Or, oh, you know, yeah, dinner, oh, you mean lunch. Like, you know, hold them accountable to those things as well. Like pretty sure I meant lunch. So I think, yeah, these things are really valuable for people as well. I think one of the things that Cam, your PR manager for Tenable sort of sent through is some some articles of, of real people that had spoken about these instances. Is there, anything, is there anything that you can sort of share perhaps on what were the sentiments from these victims that had been scammed out of a large amount of money? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, more often than not, the people that do fall for these scams, you know, they, they genuinely believe that they're developing a connection with someone. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that, that sucks about this whole process is that it's like, you know, you're investing your time and energy and your time and energy is valuable, right? And they're basically squandering it away in order to capitalize financially off of you. And, you know, I I do appreciate when people do come forward. I think it really helps to enlighten the public about these types of scams. Because when we hear about it, we hear about the, the amounts of money that these scammers are earning from these scams. It sort of helps put into perspective just how big this is. But I think, you know, We've seen reports about it. We hear about it, but I don't feel like there's enough being done. And this is a global issue, right? It doesn't just affect the United States. It affects everyone everywhere that's using a dating app or even a messaging app like WhatsApp. And WhatsApp is absolutely huge, right? So even if you're not on Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, or whatever, you are probably got a WhatsApp account and you might get a message from someone saying, hey, John, hey, Stephen, you know, they'll pretend to be sending you a message. And that's just one vehicle that they'll use. So I think at the end of the day, we need to do more to inform the public and through this podcast or research, that's just one step. And I think governments around the world can also step in. I think there's a lot more that can be done. I think collaboration is ultimately going to be the real game changer, right? Because once we figure out where these networks of criminals are and try to stop them from continuing this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And of course, there absolutely needs more to be to be done. So hopefully uh, we can see a move in the right direction. What about with all the recent sort of collapse though with the whole F- FTX side of things? Do you think because of that, we'll maybe see a decline in, in this particular scam? Like, I mean, focusing on the crypto side of things now? 
I don't think so because, you know, the FTX incident is like completely separate from all this. I mean, it's been a big news item and, and it's been in the news for quite some time and it's definitely had an impact on cryptocurrency and more broadly, but it doesn't change the fact that people still want to connect. People are still using dating apps. These scammers still see an opportunity and they're largely using platforms that they create themselves and they're basically convincing the user that they can make it seem like whatever coin that you're investing in is going up. And, you know, they're, there's still opportunity there. I think, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they could also pivot and say, well, it's the buying opportunity, right? You buy low. And if the market's low, this is better to, the best time to buy. Mm, definitely worrying. Is there anything that in terms of final thoughts or closing comments, Satnam, you'd like to leave the audience with today? Yeah, you know, I think it, this is probably one of the most difficult things I've had to kind of research because it, I think about it from the perspective of the people who are behind the the phones, the screens that are doing this. And I, I worry that there are, you know, real people who are potentially being hurt. And that's what concerns me the most because, you know, the people that are being held against their will it doesn't change the fact that I'm also worried about the folks who are losing money. It's like equally bad, but I think the people that are getting you know, trafficked in and doing this stuff. That's what, what worries me the most. And, you know, because of all the success that's been seen through these types of scams, it's just emboldening them to continue. And maybe it's growing. I don't know that, but I can say through my limited exposure to it personally, I still think that there's a lot more to come in this space. And that worries me. It worries me too. So I think You've been very insightful today. I'm always very interested in hearing about your your research and scams. It does still perplex me. I guess, again, with your sentiments, be skeptical at that 11 mark and, you know, question things. If it doesn't sound right, probably isn't. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that old adage that we keep saying in, in cybersecurity, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. It, it never fails. I think that's something just to be cognizant of. So uh, again, Satnam, thank you so much for your time, for your insights, and thanks for you know sharing something I know is is pretty hard to share. But I guess that that's the um the reason why we're having this interview and this podcast is to disseminate that message out. So hopefully, you know that may influence someone to be skeptical, especially when they are operating on these dating apps. So thank you very much again for your time. Thank you for having me, Carissa. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.